All right, guys, turn to Daniel 10. Here we go, the final section of the book of Daniel. It's bittersweet for me. Um, I'm always excited to start a new study series, and, and we do have three chapters left in Daniel, but the last three chapters of this book are one vision. Um, really, chapter 10 is like a prelude to it. The vision is in chapter 11, and then you have the postscript in chapter 12. So it's really one continuous storyline, if you will, and this will close out this book of prophecy, which I've enjoyed and been overwhelmed at how much uh, the Lord has taught me through it. I hope that he's encouraged you and, and taught you through it as well. Um, and then there's this little bit of anticipation, like where are we going next? Because I don't know if you guys realize this, but when we taught through Colossians to start um, this church plant, there were so many of these things that kept coming up that really felt foundational to me, uh, to this church and to getting us going and really building on a solid foundation. And Daniel has been just revelation. Uh, it's been like dealing with issues in our current situation, life in exile, if you will. Um, and so, so many of the concepts and, and the things that Daniel experiences, I see in our lives. So I'm excited to see where God takes us next. Um, and, and I encourage you guys to be praying for myself and for BJ as we prepare to teach through another series together. And um, it's just cool to to be a part of what God's doing. I um, I had a, another pastor ask me, like, so what what do you think? What is it that you're doing well? It's like, I'm not doing anything. I'm just watching God do things, and I'm trying to keep up. That really is what it is. So, And anyone who knows me well is like, yeah, Mike's not doing anything. So um, you guys, let's begin this first section. Daniel chapter 10. First part, first chapter of this, this section of this vision. Um, we'll notice immediately as we get into chapter 10 what the catalyst is for the vision forthcoming. What's going to be the thing that connects what we're going to see um, in the vision, what's going to make Daniel available and able to receive this and to process it. <clears throat> and I think that as we've noted, when seeking fresh vision, we need to start where Daniel starts often. We've seen this throughout the book of Daniel, um, that when we're seeking fresh vision, we need encouragement, we need strength, we need to be cleansed of sin. We have to start with confession. We have to start with confession and repentance because it's there that we become humble and our hearts and our minds and our ears and our eyes open to what God wants to do. It's when we set aside what we want and we focus on what he has for us that he brings fresh vision. And so many people are trying to create a vision for themselves, for their ministries even. And, and there's, you know, <clears throat> I've talked with pastors before who, you know, have had vision casters in their churches. And, and, you know, I, I've joked about it before as it sounds like something out of Harry Potter, you know, like <laughs> you're a vision caster. Like, what is that? We had a shirt drawn up for the youth group that had Hagrid on it said, you're a vision caster, Harry. Like it's, it's this, this idea of like this person that has this, you know, this ability to do this thing. It's like, well, maybe some people are gifted at having a vision for where God wants to take a ministry. That vision should always begin with confession and repentance of sin. It always begins with us being emptied and filled with the Spirit. And so what we're going to see is before Daniel gets to this place where he receives this vision and can understand the vision as the beginning of chapter 10 will say, the vision will be, be coming in chapter 11, we're going to see Daniel come to this place of, of brokenness. As we often have in this book, just in close proximity, chapter 9 was a great example. And so the foundation of our spiritual growth, I believe, is laid with humble prayer. Jesus is the rock. He's the foundation. But if we want to spiritually grow and mature, that foundation of that spiritual maturity is laid through humble prayer, brokenness, recognition of who God is, and seeking after his will. Not seeking my own will, not seeking what my desire is, not even understanding what God's doing. 
How many of us stop what we're doing because we don't understand what God's doing? Like, well, if I can't understand it, I'm not going to do it. That's a very dangerous game to play when you look at scriptures. When you look at the Bible and how often the characters and the men and women of faith just walked out and did what God gave them to do, not knowing how it was going to play out. Read the book of Judges. You know, it's all about these men and women who step forward and like, well, all right, we'll just do this. You know, Gideon, okay, 300 guys left, not exactly going to work, but we'll see what God does. Victory. You know, JL took the tent peg. Good job. You know, <laughs> I mean, but like, <laughs> so I was talking to somebody, sorry, JL, I was talking to someone about you the other day and they're like, JL, that's a unique name. And I was like, yeah, I was at the, the ice skating thing. And I said, yeah, like tent peg JL. And I'm like, oh, it's like, yeah, I don't nod off. Um, so you guys, the foundation of our spiritual, I'm sorry, the foundation of our spiritual growth is laid with humble prayer. And as we begin this year, I hope that here in Daniel, we find the tone and the rhythm for that pathway forward, that humility and that rhythm um, to go forward and to start investing in prayer. And we're going to see why it matters here in chapter 10 of Daniel. So let's begin. Let's read the first three verses. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, begins this way. In the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name, who was named Belshazzar. The message was true. It was about a great conflict. He understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I didn't eat any rich food, no meat or wine under my mouth, and I didn't put any oil on my body until the three weeks were over. So Daniel's in this place of, you could call it a semi-fast, but we could say fasting and seeking the Lord. Now the third reign, the third year of the reign of Cyrus over Babylon is an important time stamp. We're given these time stamps and oftentimes I'll kind of explain them before we get started because the information is provided to give perspective of what's going on in this season. So Cyrus's reign in Babylon, if it's his third year, puts us about 535 to 534 B.C., and the reason that's significant is because, for one reason, it's, about a, it's a few years before Daniel's death. Um, and it would put him at about 84 to 85 years old. The other reason it's important is because this places the vision one to two years after the return of the first group of exiles to Jerusalem. So 500 exiles returned home under the leadership of Zerubbabel, who was the Persian-appointed governor of Judah, and the, prof, or the high priest, Joshua. And they arrived in Jerusalem in the summer of 536 BC. And so prior to Daniel receiving this vision, exiles have already returned home. They've already returned back to Jerusalem. Daniel's not among them. He stayed in Babylon. So we kind of have context there. Now the work on the temple that that group of exiles accomplished, it progressed. And by autumn of 536, they'd resume the daily sacrifices. They started doing daily sacrifices again, and the following spring, they had laid the foundation of the new temple. You can read about this in Ezra. What's interesting is that right after that, the work on the temple ceased. It stopped. And for 15 years, it was in pause mode. Now, there were problems in the region, and there was many issues that contributed to this. But regardless of that, if you're wondering why Daniel was in mourning and why he was struggling as much as he was, it's quite possible that Daniel was having such a hard time in seeking the Lord because the exiles had returned, the work had stopped, and things weren't looking so good. Things weren't looking so good on the home front. And so Daniel is in mourning. He's crying out to the Lord. He's looking for answers. Why? There could be other factors, but that's a clear one that we know was in play at this time. And so things are not well at home. 
at his homeland that he cares about. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know why the work has stopped. Maybe he's heard some reasons, but he wants it to go forward. And Daniel has seen visions of the city being rebuilt. Daniel is still working through the clarity of the visions that he's received, even in chapter 9, of things being reestablished. Why is the work stopped? You ever get to that point where you're like, Lord, what is going on? I, I thought for sure this is what you were going to do. Misunderstanding the Lord's will should never drive us away from him. It should bring us to humble prayer. Not understanding what God's doing should drive us to our knees, seeking after what he has and what he's going to do, looking for healing and wisdom. Now, our focus in this chapter is going to be twofold. We want to talk about two things primarily and how they interconnect. Number one is the power of prayer. And I don't know if you guys have realized this, but the power of prayer has continually come up through Daniel because Daniel was a man who prayed. Daniel was a man who got into trouble for praying. Daniel was a guy who prayed and confessed not only his own sin, but stood with his people and confessed their sins as well as part of them. Daniel was a man who prayed. And if you look at Daniel in the way that I do with a lot of admiration and saying, like, I would love to be a man like Daniel, you want to be a man or woman who prays because that's Daniel's lifestyle. He lived in prayer. And so the power of prayer is something we need to recognize in this chapter. And the second thing is this. We need to realize the reality of spiritual warfare. That there is spiritual battles that are going on around us that we do not see. Sometimes they'll break through a little bit. Sometimes it'll come through the cracks a little. And we've seen that recently. Sometimes those battles come right into your space. Um, And it's challenging. It's challenging to deal with. But God is sovereign over all of it. And we're going to see that here. What we need to recognize is that the power of prayer applies to the spiritual battles. The power of prayer is the weapon that we wield in those spiritual battles. And so recognizing how these things connect is very important, not only to understand the vision of chapter 11, but also, call on line two, but also it's important for us to recognize how we deal with things now how we address situations in our lives now and how we can misinterpret those situations as God not listening to us, of God not answering our prayer, of God not caring when in actuality there is a battle that's happening that's unseen to our eyes. And so in verse 1, we read this, the message was true that was given to him and about a great conflict. Chapter 11 is going to show us what this great conflict pertains to. And it's, you know, chapter 11, it's not bankruptcy, but it is a great conflict. But before the visions revealed, we'll be shown that there's an earlier war that's being waged in the spiritual realm. There's a huge battle that's already taken place by the time Daniel gets to interacting with this angel that he's about to meet. And I think it's a very real and very relevant thing for us to address on how to approach our struggles and how we prepare beforehand for those struggles. I don't know about you guys, when I'm going through something, I'm like, oh, done. Boy, so glad it's going to be easy from now on, right? You get through the battle, you get through the struggle, you're like, oh, oh man, I don't know what the Lord had in that, but I mean, he got me through it. This is great on the other side. I can breathe again. And God's like, that was called training. You know, and it's like you're playing a game and the little thing comes up next level. You know, you're like, oh, I had to learn all those skills to fight on the next level. Maybe this is where we level up church. Maybe this is where we learn things so that we can level up. And if you listen to rap, I'm about to level up. Okay, so all my youth are like, yeah, drop that. (laughs) Okay, so Daniel begins with fasting. Daniel, we know, is seeking in prayer because the angel will say so in a moment. 
But Daniel is a man who goes to fasting and prayer when he's in distress, and he values these and gives priority to it. Wearsby said this, one of my favorite commentators to read, when one day we gather in heaven, we will discover that what happened to God's people on earth depended a great deal on the prayers of burdened people like Daniel. So many of the battles that we see won for God's glory are being won in the trenches of prayer. And that's where we need to fight, church. All of us. That's one place that we all partner together. Some people will look over and go, well, this person's gifting is here. And this person's gifting is here. Do you know something that we are all gifted to do? Pray. We are all equipped to pray. No one is a better prayer than another person. Some people may sound more eloquent. I know guys that like grew up like King James prayers. Thou thy God and thine bring forth hath have with for with. You know, it's like, what? I don't even know what you're saying. It's powerful, but I mean, cool. But I can't talk like that. It's like Shakespearean. That doesn't mean that they're a better prayer. It means they are eloquent with their words. Because Jesus said that the best prayer out of the two options that he showed the disciples was, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that's a prayer that gets answered, right? Jesus answered one of the shortest prayers, if not the shortest prayer in the Bible, when Peter was sinking in the Sea of Galilee. Lord, save me, right? Pretty effective prayer. What did the Lord do? Saved him. Prayer answered, right? So it's not about how you pray with your words or the things you say. It's about your heart and your attitude in prayer. And we need to fight this battle in those trenches together because we can do that alongside each other. And to leave behind a legacy of prayer is to leave behind a well-lit path for the next generation. Don't have a legacy of riches. Don't have a legacy of even knowledge. Have a legacy of prayer. Because a legacy of, and, and the reason I call out these types of things, you think about a legacy of knowledge just makes people feel like they're either inefficient or too smart. Right? They're ineffective. I'm not as smart as them. Or they get smarter than you and they feel like they're, you know, smarter than you. And what does that do? Psst, 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 pumps up your head. You leave behind a legacy of prayer that lights the pathway for the next generation. That generation is on their knees before the Lord. Now they're receiving from him. Now you've preached the gospel, you've died, and you've been forgotten, but the legacy of honoring Christ has continued. Leave a legacy of prayer. I believe the Church of America is going to continue to needlessly struggle with identity in 2021. I think they're going to continue to struggle with identity. Now, I say needlessly because we're the bride of Christ. We're his body. We have an identity. We have to continue to not search for new methods and to not try and find something that we can identify ourselves by. We need to be men and women who are daily renewed in prayer. There's a lot of things about themes for years. I'm not smart enough to call a theme. I'm not smart enough to say what the theme for this church is for this year. Do you know what will happen? God will reveal what our theme is. He will reveal it. He'll reveal it by our attitudes and our actions. And here's what I want us to be. I don't want to say that our theme this year is prayer. I want our lifestyle to be prayer. I want us to not be able to survive a day without being with the Lord in prayer. We don't need better methods. We need people who are cleansed of sin. The physical battle, and as we'll see in a minute, the spiritual battle will be won through prayer. Seeking God's intervention and submitting to his will and not the desires of the flesh is where we start. And so let's talk about that a little bit as we go forward. Verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there was a man dressed in linen. Don't think sheets. 
With a belt of gold from Ufaz around his waist, his body was like beryl, his face like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. This isn't a normal guy. Okay? Girls are like, that's the guy I'm looking for. Verse 7. <laughs> Sorry. Out of the league. Only I, Daniel, saw the vision. The men who were with me did not see it, but a great terror fell on them, and they ran and hid. Verse 8, I was left alone. Looking at this great vision, no strength was left in me. My face grew deathly pale, and I was powerless. I heard the words he said, and when I heard them, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Sounds a lot like fainting. So, Something incredible happens. Now, I want you to think about this before we get too much into what he sees, which I believe is a, an angelic being. Some people have made some draws here to a, a comparison of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. I think that that's a possibility, but I, I lean against it. Um, but that's not important to what we see happen in the chapter either way, and people will argue about such things, and I'm not going to do that. Prior to looking at this vision, he tells us what time of the year it is. It's the 24th day of Nisan, which would be 10 days after Passover. Now, that may not seem that interesting to you, but it's very interesting to me, and here's why. What happens the week before Passover? While Daniel would have been mourning and praying and fasting, do you know what the Jews would do the week before Passover? They spent the entire week ridding their house of leaven. They were to search through their houses and find leaven. Now, if you know the Bible and you know what leaven represents, what does it represent? Sin. They spent a week searching for leaven, and it was to condition their hearts and create awareness because they were physically doing something that would remind them to self-examine, to examine their hearts, examine their minds, and rid their lives of sin. This is the place Daniel is in. And as you think about this, how important is it for us when we want to seek after God's will and we don't understand what God's doing to not just purge our life? And, and it's, it's very valuable to fast. I think that fasting is something that we should do, that we should do regularly, and not because it's a requirement in Scripture, but because it is teaching your body discipline and preferring the Spirit. You are putting your physical body to discipline so that your spiritual mind and attitude can focus on the Lord. You're removing physical distraction and you're teaching your body discipline. How badly do we need to discipline our physical bodies so that the spiritual man can grow? There is something that we don't do very well in our country and that is discipline ourselves physically so that our spiritual man can, or woman can grow. We are all about indulgence. We're all about comfort. We have been eating obscene amounts of cheese since COVID hit. All of us. You're like, I'm lactose, then you've been eating the equivalent without lactose. Like, I don't know about you guys, but COVID has not done wonderful things for my body. Right? But I want you to think about this. We are not great at disciplining ourselves physically for spiritual benefit. That's what fasting is. And if you're good at it, keep being good at it. That's a good thing for us. Don't starve yourself to death, but fasting for spiritual awakeness, awakeness, that's a good thing. That's a word. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. Think about this. Paul brings it into context as he's talking about Passover and leaven in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He shows that this is a very real concept when we think about it spiritually. He's saying this is a spiritual cleansing, and the Passover feast, as they prepared for it, was to remind them of this spiritual principle, just as Passover was a picture of Christ. 
and his sacrifice. Now, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. Your boasting is not good. You know, I just tell that to a lot of young guys. Your boasting is not good. My boasting is not good. We shouldn't boast. He says, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? I mean, that's, a, that's something my mama used to tell me all the time. Little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? Is that true when it comes to making bread? Answers, yes. One little drop in there, the whole thing's full of yeast, right? One little bit of leaven leavens a whole lump. What's the concept? A little bit of sin in your life does what? Permeates the entirety of your body, of your life. It permeates all of you. That's why over and again, we challenge each other to open the closet doors and get sin out to deal with sin. This examination is not just a preparation for the Passover feast. It's a reminder that we must be examining ourselves in heart. Clean out the old leaven, Paul says in verse seven, so that you may be a new unleavened batch as indeed you are for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. He says he has the ability to clean you out of all of that. He cleanses us of sin. Paul goes even deeper spiritually. Therefore, verse 8, let us observe the feast not with old leaven or with the leaven of malice and evil. He's getting spiritual. But with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He says, extract sin, malice and evil, and let the Lord pour into you sincerity and truth. These are the things that should be earmarks of our Christianity. Daniel has prepared for this moment through fasting and prayer. He's cleansing himself. He's dealing with his stuff. This needs to happen for us, church. This needs to happen for us regularly where we cleanse and we look and we intentionally look in our lives and we are great at calling out other people's sin. I mean, when I say like, we all need to just take a moment to self-examine. First thing that some of us, I'll put myself in the group, is like, boy, he really needs to think about that. He's terrible. What is examination supposed to be? It's supposed to be me. Paul encourages the Corinthians on another occasion and says, let every man examine himself to see if he is in the faith. Look deeply into yourself. Extract sin. Ask the Lord has empowered us to do this. That's what he's saying. Jesus has already died. Our Passover lamb's been crucified. He can cleanse us if we let him. Let him extract the sin from your life. What Daniel sees as he stands on the bank of the Tigris I believe he has the ability to see this because of his preparation, because he has submitted himself to God. I believe that the reason the Lord is revealing things to him, we'll talk about this in a minute, is not because God loves him more than other people, but because God is honoring his obedience. Daniel is receiving God's vision and receiving God's ability to see and to do things because he's obedient. It's not an issue of love. It's an issue of obedience and God being able to be glorified through that. God is glorified in our obedience. What Daniel sees is a man, but it's unlike any other man he's seen before. The vision is going to come via what I believe this to be as an angel. Now, angels are not often described in detail in Scripture. They are often in Scripture, but we don't see them described that often. We do in some isolated places. But this one is described in pretty great detail. And there's been some argument as to whether there are two different beings here or who they could be. I lean towards this as one angel interacting with Daniel. You can read more into that, study that. It really doesn't change the passage because the passage is focused on the message and on Daniel. 
And it's not about taking glory away from what God is saying. It's about understanding what he is saying. And it, the messenger here doesn't really change the context of that. Okay. And so he, I lean towards us being an angel. Is it Gabriel? I don't know. It doesn't say. Some people like, I've, I've read some guys are like, clearly this is Gabriel. I'm like, how is that clear? Like, I mean, I, it doesn't say it's Gabriel. Could it be? Sure. Absolutely. The only angel that's mentioned is Michael. Not me, the archangel. So here, <laughs> such an angel. So it doesn't say, so we don't know. Either way, it doesn't change the point and the purpose of this passage. Verse seven, only I, Daniel, saw the vision. The men who were with me did not see it, but a great terror fell on them and they ran and hid. I was left alone looking at this great vision. Nothing like being by yourself when something terrifying is in front of you. You're like, how terrifying was it? Well, he said, no strength was left in me. My face grew pale. I was powerless. I heard the words and I passed out. Basically, I fell into a deep sleep to my face on the ground. Whatever Daniel's seeing is completely overwhelming him. Now, Christian leaders, there's, there's a message for us here. And by Christian leaders, I mean, if you are leading a family, if you are in a ministry position, if you someday are going to be a parent or going to be, a, you know, you're going to be in different positions where you will be a leader there. Christian leaders, there is a price to pay if we're to see what God wants us to see and hear what he's saying. There will be a cost. We like to talk about how it's always so good. It's always so much, you know, like I, I, maybe I'm listening to the wrong guys. Like guys are like, oh, it's just so, it's so good. It's grace and God's so good. And it's so overwhelming. It's like, yeah, that's true. That, that is true. But it's also heavy. There are times of mourning. There are times of grief. There is a weight of glory. There is a weight of God's revelation. And we need to feel that. There needs to be never a brash and arrogant approach for me to this pulpit. There should never be a brash, arrogant approach. Oh, I got this. This is going to be no problem. You can ask my wife every week. I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know where this is going. I prep so hard. I feel like I know less after studying than I did before. You know, like all of these things come out. I feel so busted up and broken. Guys that are teaching, like that we talk about, like, I don't know what I'm doing. There's a weight to it. There's an accountability to it. Read James 3. It says, not many of you should be teachers because you're going to face a stricter judgment. You're like, I don't want to do that. I don't want that kind of responsibility. The only reason I'm here is because God won't let me do anything else. I've asked him. Someone was like, are you afraid of the church plant failing? I was like, no. I'm not afraid of that. Why? Because then I could do something else. It's not that I don't love you people, but I can love you while I work in construction. Oh, I run a business somewhere. Someone's like, how is that easier? It's easier. Trust me, there is a weight to this that should be felt. There's a disappointment in myself that I feel so consistently. And God has to bring me back from, he's like, boy, you're really making this about you. He's like, but I suck. You have no idea. He's like, I know all about it. But you guys, I... Spiritual leaders, we have to stand when others flee. We have to stand at the bank when the vision happens and they don't even get to see it, but they just hear whatever's like, whatever's going on around it and they flee, they get out of there. They're hiding. And, and, and it's funny because like sometimes we look all bold and brash, but it's like, no, we just didn't move. Everyone else ran. So it looks like we're strong. It looks like we're bold because we just stood our ground like, you know, and you turn around, everyone else is behind the rocks. Like, good for you, Mike. 
If I had known you were running, I would have come with you. Like, why am I here? You guys, when we receive what God has for us, sometimes it's going to make us weak. It's going to make us feel helpless. It's going to make us feel lost. It's going to make us feel like we don't know what to do with our lives. Why are you giving this to me, God? And sometimes he doesn't tell us why, but we know how to handle it. Obedience is the victory. It's not for me to know why he's doing what he's doing. In fact, if I think about it long and hard enough, I know why he's doing it. It's for his glory. And so it's my job to obey. It's my job to do what's right. We've seen Daniel in this weakened state time and again in this book. How often, by looking at Daniel's experience, have we learned what Paul stated so clearly in 2 Corinthians 12 when he was talking about that thorn in the flesh? He's like, I asked the Lord to take this from me. We don't know if it was something physical, if it was something he was struggling with. He's like, take it away, take it away, take it away. God's like, no, no, no. Three times God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. God says, I will perfect my power through your weakness. And so Paul says, so I glory in my weaknesses so I can rejoice in my weaknesses. I don't think Paul's like, life sucks. I don't think that's what he was doing. I think that Paul's like, I can rejoice in this weakness because I know that God is getting his will done through it. So long as I obey him. Now, God gets his will done either way, but my willing participation is so important to me being blessed. My willing participation is so, and I'm not talking about God filling my bank accounts. I'm talking about me being blessed by God to either continue or to give him glory through my death. That's what matters more than anything we can gain in this world. We need to be emptied of sin, reduced to a heap on the ground, and that's just the beginning. That doesn't mean you go to church and it's like, you know, church of the living dead where everyone's mourning and crying and like rolling around on the ground. Hey, there are going to be seasons where we will mourn. But do you realize that God didn't leave Daniel face first on the ground? What does he do? The angel comes and he touches him. He comes and he touches him. Suddenly, verse 10 says, a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and knees. I like the progression of Daniel here. Daniel's like, first I'm out on my face. Then he gets me to my hands and knees. That looks strong, right? He's on his hands and knees. He says to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I'm saying to you. Stand on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. After he said this, I stood, but trembling. He's shaking. His knees are knocking together. Verse 12, the angel continues, don't be afraid, Daniel. He said to me, for from the first day that you purpose to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. How long has it been? Well, he's going to say in a second here, he says, I've become, I've come because of your prayers, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Huh? Then Michael, not me, one of the chief princes came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to those days, the vision of chapter 11. Now, the comfort of God, let's begin with this, enables us to stand. The comfort of God raises us up. You are treasured by God, he says to him. Remember we talked about this in chapter 9? I told you that twice more in chapter 10 it would be said. So in the span of two chapters, Daniel would be told three times that he's treasured by God. If you're reading the New Living, it translates the word for treasured as very precious. If you're reading the ESV, it translates it as greatly loved. You're like, which one is true? All of them. 
He is greatly loved. He is precious. He is treasured by God. Now here comes the kicker question that we have to ask ourselves. Does this have to do with his performance? I think we know the automatic answer is Christians are like, well, no. But do you think of it that way when you read the book of Daniel? Do you think of it that way that Daniel's the one who's being told that he's treasured and loved and it's because of how he's performing? Careful. We're breaking New Testament theology if we believe that. It has nothing to do with his performance. He's treasured, loved, and precious to God, just the same as God's people are, just the same as all of his creation is. He is loved the same. And in the same way for us, we can know that we're loved and treasured and precious to God because we've received the gift of salvation offered through Jesus. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. He loved us even when we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And now he's brought us into his family. This isn't about God loving Daniel more. This is about God telling Daniel and reminding him that he's always loved him. Receive that, church. You are precious and treasured and loved by him. And that is all we need. That is all we need. Everything on the top is grace. We have all been loved by God. He has proven it to us through Jesus. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8, in him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Some translations say lavishly. Over the top. His overwhelming, elaborate grace has been given to us in Jesus. We can never be more loved than we are by God, and Jesus is proof. God said, I loved you to humanity. Humanity responded, how much? And he said this much when he put Jesus on the cross. Jesus is the proof of God's love for us. Never doubt that. Never think that Daniel had some special elixir. Never think that when you do humble yourself, when you do come to the Lord, that he will then love you more and you're earning that favor. No, we want to walk with him because we love him in return. Because as John will go on to say in 1 John chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. It's just reciprocation. It's just loving him in return. Our obedience like Daniel's has value because it flows from a heart submitted to God. We are treasured and loved by God just the same. And Jesus is our proof. So the angel stands, Daniel on his feet, and he's trembling. And he says, don't be afraid. For from the first day that you purposed to understand to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. I have come because of your prayers. And from the very moment that Daniel began praying, God responded by sending a powerful heavenly being. Right? How long did it take him? 21 days. 21 days. Really quickly, how does that adjust our view of unanswered prayer? I don't know about you, but have you ever prayed for something like God's just not going to answer, it's just not going to happen? Did you ever think about a spiritual battle taking place while you were praying so that that answer would come? That was the situation with Daniel here. 
I'm not saying that's always the case, but how often do we give up on prayer because we're not getting an immediate answer? Did God wait 21 days to answer? That's not what the text says. From the first day that you purpose to understand, to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. And I have come because of them. He says from day one, it was heard. Just in my head, just something to think about. And I'm not, I'm not saying this is theologically, you know, something we should run around with. But have you ever thought about when you stop praying for something? If the answer was halfway there. Maybe you gave up on praying for something and the answer was not far away. Maybe God was stretching your patience, stretching your long-suffering, teaching you endurance. Never, ever, ever stop praying for that person that you care about to be saved, for that situation at work, for that school problem, for the, the relational issue that you're having. Never stop praying. And here's the thing. Don't pray according to what you want. Pray that God's will would be done. Pray that God would do what he chooses to do. It's not about what I want. It's about what he wants. I want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. For more on that, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. We need to let this marinate a a bit, church, and I, I hope that we can think about it together, even though we won't be physically together, but throughout this week that we'll be thinking about this that maybe the right response isn't to stop praying because it hasn't been answered. But as is the case with Daniel, we would recognize that there's a war waging that we don't see. There is a war going on. It's being fought in the spiritual realm. God is omnipotent, yes? We know he's omnipresent, omnipotent, and um, omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. God is all three of those things. Omnipotent means he's all-powerful. Could God have gotten the angel there on time? Well, let's say Daniel's time, day one, right? Could God have done that? Yeah, absolutely. Is is Satan God's equal? Let's just settle this. Is Satan God's equal? No, God is God. Satan is a loser. Okay? And if I can't get an amen for that, like, <laughs> seriously, God is God. Satan is a loser. He is going to lose. He is going to go to hell for the rest of eternity when God says it's time. That is settled, okay? And you're like, oh my gosh, Mike is going to get attacked by so many. That's fine because I'm building the precedent for this. God allowed the 21-day delay. God allowed this battle to take place. If God is omnipotent, then that means that he allows angelic conflict to happen. And sometimes I think, for me anyways, I'm like, why? Like, why is that allowed to happen? Just kick him, like just knock him out of the way. It's like, but he allows these things to happen. What do we learn from that? One, I'm not God. Two, I don't understand what he does all the time. Three, I should be cool with that. The third one's the hard part. I need to be okay with not understanding what he's doing because I recognize that he has all the power This isn't this grand struggle like, I wonder how this is going to turn out. This is a blowout. It's over. God's already won. Jesus defeated sin and death. He's going to rule and reign forever. 
So this conflict that we see happening in the spiritual realm is happening because the enemy is trying to thwart God and he can't do so. But what's fascinating is like, why is he, why is it the prince of Persia? Well, you think about it. The Persians are in charge right now. The Medo-Persian empire. Later on in the prophecy, he's going to talk about how the Grecian army is coming. This is going to bring in the, the armies of Greece and the spirits of Greece and all these things that are happening there. You're like, whoa, how does that pertain? Because God has specifically said throughout the book of Daniel, what's going to happen with these nations? The enemy is trying to make God a liar. The enemy is trying to make God look like a liar. You realize that that's all his intent is in our lives. He can't overpower God. He's trying to cause us to distrust him, to think that God isn't telling the truth, that he's a liar. Satan's the liar. He's the loser. Never lose sight of that. You guys, this was such a powerful battle that this angel had to call up some reinforcements, some big guns, not me, but the Michael, the archangel, right? He shows up and he swings the battle in his favor and he gets through and gets to Daniel. And this is fascinating. Don't you wish you could see it? I mean, that, that would be really cool. I mean, if, if this, the sight of this one angel terrified Daniel, I can't imagine if he could just see this battle that was happening with all of these angelicos fighting and all this stuff going. I don't know what happened, but we know this. We know how angels of God fight. Do you want to know how they do it? Jude verse nine says that Michael himself contends with Satan over the body of Moses. And what's fascinating is it said he did not bring against him a railing accusation, but said the Lord rebuke you and entrusted God to be the judge. Angels teach us how to fight in prayer. We don't, we don't accuse. We call it what it is. God is the judge. Who has God said the enemy is? The loser. What has God said he's going to do with Satan? Cast him into the lake of fire. What does God tell us to do when Satan or his, his spiritual minions, the demonic activity comes pushing our way? Resist him firm in your faith and re- indeed resist the devil and he will flee from you. You stand firm. You stand your ground because we have to yield nothing to the enemy when we belong to the Lord. When we belong to Jesus, we have to yield zero ground. We fight from a victory. This is a remarkable glimpse into battles that are being waged in heaven amongst God's angelic hosts and Satan and his fallen demons. What's interesting is that it's very accurate as you compare it to passages in Revelation. It's also accurate as you compare it to key passages of Satan's fall, final battle, eternal defeat. They'll be on the screen, Luke 10, 18, Matthew 25, 41, Revelation 12, 7 through 17. Not exhaustive, just cool passages to read. The spiritual warfare is not limited to Daniel's situation here. It is happening all around us, and it's influencing things around us. And if we are going to fight, we are going to have to fight God's way. You realize that this isn't something that we know is happening, but we're not a part of. We are a part of angelic conflict. I'll show you how. Ephesians 6. You know these passages, but I hope that there's some fresh encouragement here. Ephesians 6.10, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength, just like Daniel. Daniel goes to the ground in the sight of this angel and he strengthens him up. We're going to see that in a minute even more. And I am going to close this off. Trust me, I'm going quick. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Notice that, stand, not flee. Stand against him. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Verse 14, stand. Are you noticing how often it's saying stand your ground? Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And most would stop there, but we don't because of context. And what are we talking about in Daniel 10? Prayer. Verse 18, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. Church, we fight in this spiritual battle through prayer. All of those weapons are clothing ourselves in Jesus. And the weapon that we use to fight this battle in the spiritual realm is going to be prayer. Daniel's prayer is what sent this angel. He responded instantly at the sending of God to the prayer of Daniel. How many things should we be praying about right now if we recognize that prayer moves the hand of God? It doesn't change his will. Prayer moves the hand. How many things is God wanting to do in our lives that he's just waiting for us to pray about? And how many times have we started praying about it, not gotten it when we wanted it, and quit? Persevere in prayer. Just be like what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Never stop. We're not in a passive battle, you guys. We read it here in Ephesians 6.18. We learn it from Daniel. This angelic conflict that's happening all around us is something that we are supposed to be participating in through prayer. Jesus has already won the victory over sin. That's done. But through prayer, we participate in a battle for the souls of the lost and the effectiveness of the church. Prayer does not change the will of God, but it moves his hand. I want you to prepare yourselves. I'm going to quote from John Calvin. But I'm not a Calvinist. But he does have some great teachings. He says this, We have been forewarned that an enemy relentlessly threatens us, an enemy who is the very embodiment of rash boldness, of military prowess, of crafty wiles, of untiring zeal and haste, of every conceivable weapon and of skill in the science of warfare. We must then bend our every effort to this goal. Let us not be overwhelmed by carelessness or faint-heartedness, but with courage rekindled, let us stand our ground in combat. Stand your ground. Yield nothing. Yield nothing. Maybe Satan is coming after you. Maybe the enemy is pushing at you in some way, trying to get you to compromise, to sin, to give in to the ways of the world. Stand your ground, church. Do not yield. It may look great. It may look tasty. It may look like the thing that you've wanted all along. It may look like it's going to promise and give you something that God can't. It's a lie, All the enemy is trying to do is break your trust in God. He can't break God. He can't change God. He can't make God faithless. All he can do is put a veil over your eyes. And church, we don't have to let him do it because we are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness. Amen? We do not have to let that happen. He doesn't have power over you. Even in the case of Job. 
Even the case of Job where Satan was directly accusing Job, he had to get permission for every single step of the way. And God told him the terms. Did the enemy cross him? He couldn't because God is God and Satan's a loser. Sorry, I'm just going to keep writing that. It makes me happy. Verse 15. While he was saying these words to me, talking about this angelic conflict, I turned my face toward the ground with speechless. Daniel's down again. Suddenly one with human likeness touched my lips. I opened my mouth and said to the one standing in front of me, my Lord, because of the vision, anguish overwhelms me. I'm powerless. How can someone like me, your servant, speak with someone like you, my Lord? Now I have no strength and there's no breath in me. That's the weight of glory, by the way. How can I be used by someone so powerful? What do you see in me? What in the world are you going to do with someone like me? I have no right to even talk to you. Then the one with the human appearance touched me again and strengthened me, said, don't be afraid. You who are treasured by God, peace to you, be very strong. As he spoke, Daniel says, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak. You strengthen me. I'm ready. It's such an inspirational picture. Just going down on the ground over and again and being like, get up, be strong. You hear the echoes of Joshua when the Lord was speaking to him. Be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and very courageous, Joshua. You have a big job ahead of you. These men that prioritize relationship with God are then on the receiving end of his strength and ability. You think about Joshua and Joshua's strength. It didn't just come from, oh, well, he's the next one in line. Joshua was faithful to give the report that God told him to give when he went into the land of Canaan and came back. And Joshua and Caleb were the only two that entered the promised land. Even Moses couldn't go in. And what's interesting is I think the most important aspect of Joshua's leadership ability was found in Exodus 32 or 33, where the tent of meeting gets set up. And Moses, it says, would go out to that tent of meeting and he would talk with God as a man speaks to his friend. It said Joshua would go out with him. And when Moses would come back, Joshua would stay in the tent because he longed for the presence of God. He sought the Lord in prayer. He sought to be an obedient man. And he was a man of war, but his strength came from that longing for relationship with God. And then God at the right moment said, it's time for you to lead, be strong and very courageous, just as he does for Daniel here. It's consistent throughout scripture. Do you want to be used by God? Do you want God to do awesome things in your life for his glory? Be a man or woman who submits to God in prayer and then allows the Lord to weaken you and build you up fresh again. To take your strength away and give you his. Peter Danyanko was a missionary to the Slavic people. He said, much prayer, much power. No prayer, no power. Simple and easy to remember. You pray a lot, God will empower you to much. But if you don't, it's empty. If Jesus took demonic activity seriously, then we ought to take it seriously as well and learn from his preparation. What was Jesus' preparation package for, for, uh, you know, dealing with demonic activity? Fasting and prayer. What was Jesus doing when the enemy came and tempted him? Fasting and praying. What did Jesus tell his disciples when they couldn't cast the demons out of that poor possessed boy in Mark chapter 9? They're like, Lord, why couldn't we do it? He says, this one only comes out through fasting and prayer. It's almost like Jesus set an example when the disciples would get up early in the morning, not be able to find him, and lo, he was by himself praying. 
when they were crossing to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and Jesus sends them on ahead and he goes up in the mountain to play hopscotch? Pray. And Jesus is praying into the deep hours of the night. Do you want to be used by God? Get ready to lose some sleep and spend some time in prayer. If you want to see God empower you and do mighty things through you, entrust yourself to the Lord in the way that the men of faith of the Old Testament and the way that Jesus himself showed us how. Humble yourself and get on your knees with the Lord often. Set a schedule of prayer. Psalm 18, let's close with this idea as we think about the Lord strengthening and then we'll see um, how the Lord strengthens Daniel to receive the vision next time we're in Daniel. Psalm 18, 29 through 32 says this. I just felt like this was so powerful. With you, I can attack a barricade. And with my God, I can leap over a wall. God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is pure. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is a rock? Only our God. God, he clothes me with strength and he makes my ways perfect. He clothes me with strength. That statement is what I will marinate on for the next week. God clothes me in strength. And his power is made perfect in my weakness. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, as much as we don't like it, the challenge sometimes that we face, God, the, the brokenness, coming to realize that we are just terrible, sinful creatures is not easy to look at. It hurts us. It hurts those around us. But Lord, you can renew our strength when we trust in you. And indeed, the ones who trust in the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and they will not faint. They'll be given the strength of the Lord as clothing, as armor. They'll fight the battle in the cosmos with prayer. Lord, these are the people you've called us to be. This isn't for a spiritual elite. This is for the body of Christ. This is for lovers of Jesus. Inspire us, challenge us to do this so that we can receive vision. Whatever it is you want to show us, Lord, I'll take whatever you'll show me. Lord, if it's the next footstep, then so be it. If it's what's coming for the next year, great. Lord, that's in your hands. But may you find in us as as a church the humility that it just asks for you to work through us for your glory. And Lord, may you find us in prayer. Together, when we're apart, always seeking your face. Lord, I would rather have one person who is given to prayer than 500 who know a lot of Bible stuff. Make us all people who are given to prayer. There is no telling what you will do in this community if this church is a church who prays. Empower us with your spirit. Get our eyes off ourselves and on you. Let's just take this moment to pray. I invite you guys to keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed, and we'll end with a worship song, but just take a moment to pray. Open your hearts to the Lord.